Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Lori L. was recorded on February 9th, 2023. I am grateful to be here with you guys. I am an adult child in recovery, and um, there are several people online that I know and have come to know over my last few years in this program, so it's good to see you. Familiar faces, and those of you I don't know, I'm glad you're here. And I do pray that I hope uh, I am able to say something that helps you. I just like to get out of the way that I am not. If you're new to 12-step program, I am not like a paid uh, speaker. I'm doing this because of what it was so freely and beautifully given to me in this recovery. I'm not from ACA central office. I just uh, kind of fell into this program by way of two other programs that I, I got sober um, I began my sober journey in 12 step in AA in 2009. And after several people heard me share, it was suggested, strongly suggested that I check out Al-Anon. And after I was in Al-Anon for a while, some people started to say, hey, have you heard of ACA? So I know I belong here and I'm glad I found you guys. Um, and I've been in this program and I'm very, very active in it in my own recovery for five, five years and three months. So I'm glad to be here. Um, and there's no way I would be here if there weren't people that were on this path before me, guiding the way with light. So I'm really, really happy to share with you guys tonight. And the final thing I'd like to say is if you don't hear something you can identify in my share today, please, please come back. Keep coming back and keep going until you hear your own story. You will hear uh, versions of your own story. I, I guarantee it if you keep coming back. So. So I'm just gonna describe a little bit what my family was like and what it was like to be me as a little kid in my family. I am the oldest um, of two daughters born to my father and my mother. And um, I was not the first child to my father. He had a family of five children and was married when he met my mom. I didn't know any of this until years later, but he was uh, married when he met my mom. So my mom essentially was the other woman. Um, they did get married and they were married before they had me. My um, parents did eventually split uh, when I was around nine years old. But before that time, there was an awful lot of fighting and violence between them. My mom was the aggressor and my father used drugs to check out and also leaving. He would leave the house and wouldn't come back, whether it was several hours or several days. There was just a lot of a lot of fighting in my house. And so often the fighting got very, very loud that um, the police were often called. So there was a lot of shame around my parents' behavior at an early age. I have one younger sister who's 13 months younger than I am. And um, she took the brunt of most of my mom's abuse. Not that I didn't escape it entirely, but most of the physical abuse that my mom had a lot of rage in her and it was taken out on my little sister. Um, I became, I'm gonna put this in quotes, the good one, uh, you on, um, that are not watching, you can't see the quotes, but that's in quotes because that was the role I was assigned. The hero child is what I identify as. 
I was the fixer and the saver, savior, and um, my sister was the quote unquote bad one. And she got to act out and be bad. And eventually we both kind of identified with those roles and played them out even in the relationship between the two of us. I was big sister knows best. Um, and that's certainly not a realistic or true representation of any human being. There's no human being that's all bad or all good or is a hero in any way. But uh, many of you that are familiar with the ACA program will identify with that. And um, at an early age, I was very, very sensitive to noise, to sound, to touch, to smells. And, um, and I felt very, very powerless in my home. And uh, that was scary for me, being a kid that had the ability to see that there were things that were going on that were wrong and were violent and we were being violated. And that was never um, addressed in any way. There was never any apology when mom lost her temper. There was never any explaining when the police had to come to our house. Uh, I had to make sense of that. And I made up a lot of stories in my head. One of those stories I told myself was that Somehow, I did have a belief in a higher power, and it does say in some of our literature that like deep in the, there's a seed planted in us that says that we're not completely alone, that deep in, the, in every child is a belief in something bigger than themselves. And I told myself that God must have placed me in this family because I was destined for some greatness. And that was just a story I told myself, but it was what I told myself at a young age. So I, I kept on expecting this great opportunity to provide, uh, you know, to, to, to reveal itself to me. Um, that didn't actually happen <laughs> ever. And I found myself in a great depression because I felt like I was failing on so many levels in my teenage years and early twenties. I felt like, where's my mother Teresa moment. I was waiting for that to happen. Um, I was accused of hurting myself a lot. Um, like if I bumped into something like a door that was open my mom would say, why did you do that? That was stupid. So I learned to also accept that whenever I hurt myself or whenever I was hurt or hurting, that I brought it upon myself. So there I was being taught about this self-shame about being hurt or sick or somehow if I tripped and fell, it was my fault. I wasn't looking. I was being stupid. Um, those were all things that stood in my way of eventually seeing that um, I could ask for help and I'm going to tie that together later. But um, what I want to share, uh, the topic I'm going to, I'm, my topic tonight is acceptance. The first step tells me that I am powerless over the effects of alcohol. And for me, what that means is I get to, through the step work in this program, go back and start to identify some of the messaging that I received and start to correct some of that um, and start to identify what that is. So the gift there's a great deal of beauty that happens when I begin to practice acceptance. The acceptance that I'm imperfect has been a big one I've been working at lately. Um, the acceptance over my powerless over my powerlessness over the disease of alcohol as it manifested in my family. So my mother didn't drink or use drugs. She did experiment, um, and I saw that in my home. My father was the addict, but she did grow up with some sort of disease of otherness. I do believe that it's generational. There was probably grandparents that were alcoholics. 
but I am, I'm here because I came from a dysfunctional home. Uh, there's also addiction in my home as well, but if that's, if that's you, uh, you belong here as well. So I can accept that I am powerless over the effects, but that must first qualify me for this program. I must accept that I'm affected by alcoholism or dysfunction. And for a long time, I wasn't. For a long time, I was in denial and I told myself the story that yes, my sister was certainly affected by the disease of addiction and alcoholism and dysfunction and violence and abuse, but I wasn't. And I was in denial for a long time even after I started looking at my own drinking and using. Um, so this has been a really gradual awakening and awareness of my acceptance. Today, I absolutely am, am okay accepting that I was, a, I was deeply affected by alcoholism and addiction and mental health issues in my family growing up. And when I can accept that, the gift about that is there is a program that can work for me. I can begin to identify some of the things that happened to me. I can feel like I belong here, which allows me to say maybe these steps can work. And in my inventorying of some of these things that happened, which are in our yellow workbook under the fourth step of some of the things that I uh, either witnessed or endured, I can begin to see that it wasn't my fault. I can begin to see that I was a child who wasn't being parented by adults, but maybe just adult ch children, which is what I believe about my story today. I begin to see that um, when I'm powerless over the effects of alcoholism and addiction in my home, I'm doing things um, in the dark. I'm doing it blind, including finding a life partner, signing up for a career, I, I was operating from a state of um, denial. I called myself high functioning for a really long time. And that's something we use in the other programs about uh, in, in our beverage program. You know, people identify as a high functioning addict or a high functioning alcoholic. I thought I was a high functioning kid from trauma. And I didn't even think that I had trauma. I thought my sister had trauma, but I thought I didn't have trauma as the veils are lifted and I get to have a, an honest look at what happened to me in my childhood, I get to be available not only for, from the help from others in this program, but I get to feel like I belong here, which enables me to say, huh, how did they do it? How does our literature suggest that we do it? So there's a great, a great number of gifts that come from moving into a place of acceptance. When I'm not in acceptance, I know what that feels like today too. It is a sense of rigidity in my life. It's a sense of panic with every new opportunity that's expressing itself. It's the what ifs. What if this happens? Am I going to survive? Is this going to is this going to hurt me? It it, it it stops me from taking risks. It stops me from being vulnerable. It stops me from being honest with myself. So when I'm in acceptance about the very first step that I am powerless over the effects of growing up in an alcoholic home, a dysfunctional home, I can begin to move into the steps, which is really, really a beautiful process for me. It's taken me a long time to get here. And I really do believe that I belong here. And I'm so glad I'm here. And I still am spotting where I'm in denial about how I unknowingly recreated 
the drama of my home in the home that I made and made kids and, and the way that I parented. For years and years, like almost 20 years, I thought I was high functioning enough to choose a mate, a partner that wasn't my dad. He wasn't an alcoholic or an addict. So I thought I was patting myself on the back. I did such a great job not marrying an alcoholic or an addict. And then a few years ago in this program, I realized that I married someone who was very critical like my mother and who I felt judged by all the time. And um, I had, I moved into a place of acceptance about that. Not that he's a bad person. He's a very loving person. Um, but being an acceptance of that allows me to be in a place where I can work on the things in the relationship that I can change me and understand that I sought out someone that was just like my mom in some ways and who, you know, I, I'm not here to talk about him. But my part in it is that that was attractive to me on some level. And that was my part. And I own that today. I, um, I also love that I can be in acceptance about my shortcomings. I don't love the term character defects because that makes me feel really defensive, but they're survival tactics that I acquired in childhood to cope. And when I'm in them, when I'm practicing them, I don't have the ability to be without judgment and panic and the things that hold me back from being in truly open in relationship with other people to be able to hear with both ears open and to be vulnerable and to be able to love freely. So I'm seeing how the lack of acceptance keeps me small and keeps me repeating patterns from my childhood and then passing them on to the next generation and the next generation. And it tells me in our literature that patterns can change. And I believe that, but it involves me moving out of a state of denial and into an, into a state of acceptance. And I, um, I'm excited about that today. The more I'm able to accept the more I'm able to grow. And I'm really into growing these days. We're, you know, we're a few months, a few, well, we're just about a month into 2023 and I didn't set any resolutions for myself this year. And that's growth for me. I'm trying to live with an intentional life. And that means that I'm going to trust that whatever is coming up is something that's coming up for my exploration or for my greater good. So um, I want to read something on acceptance and just ground myself in the literature for a minute. And I, I chose something to read today. This is from Accepting Ourselves, which is from our daily reader, Strengthening My Recovery, November 19th, Accepting Ourselves. As children, we often had to endure verbal attacks that as adults made us vulnerable to even the slightest criticism. Even in ACA, it was difficult for some of us to hear that we had defects of character because we interpreted that as being defective. We interpreted that as being defective, which felt shaming. Because we knew these were our core issues and that the program could help us, we might've found other words that made us feel more comfortable, such as character defenses, step one issues, spirit blockers, or simply shortcomings. No matter what we call them, it is essential that we look at them in the proper light and accept them as a part of who we learn to be. We also become aware that they are the very things that come between us and our higher power. They affect how we feel about ourselves and how we relate to other people. 
Um, and then I'm just going to jump down a little bit further. We begin to acknowledge our strengths, one of which is our ability to intuitively know that the tools of ACA are giving us a new and better life. We learn balance. On this day, I choose to face my shortcomings without judging myself harshly. I accept all the parts of me. Yes. So that is my light today. That helps me see why I continue to do the hard work. This is for me, what five years and a couple of months look like in this program, I'm gradually accepting that those defenses of character stand in the way between me and my power, my higher power. And if I align myself with my higher power, I can get through anything, truly anything. So some of you know about the next part of my share is going to be getting a little bit more current. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, the very, very beginning of the pandemic, uh, my oldest son, I have two children, my oldest son um, was 121 days sober, and I was so proud of him and proud of my younger son also had the same amount of time. Um, however, at 18 years old, he had a relapse, and he took some pills, and he overdosed and passed away on April 21st, 2020 of this disease, reminding me that I also have a fatal disease. And instead of shutting me down and turning me against or away from program, all of my three programs, I'm a triple winner, I dove in. I did not stop going to meetings. I did not stop sharing. I needed my higher power and I needed all of my programs, especially this one, more than ever. And this program showed up for me as my other fellow travelers and other programs as well. And I, lear I learned to lean into that like never before. I needed a higher power. I needed an 11 step. I needed to be looking at how I could be carried. And I was carried through the darkest days. Absolutely. and. It wasn't without the work leading up to it. I didn't jump in with both feet at the time I needed it most. I had been working up to it through all the painful moments, through all of the hard stuff. And I'm so grateful that a part of me, even though I wasn't in fully awareness of what was coming next, I kept on doing the next right indicated action. I kept on going to meetings. And I'm so grateful for that path that I learned that this is, this is, this, this life, this life contains so many miracles, as well as the tough stuff. We're, we're human beings and human beings die. And I could have had an attitude before finding ACA is that my son abandoned me. The thing I was most afraid of, my parents abandoning me, my father overdosing and dying. All these things that um, I was so afraid of, I worked out through the step work in this program. And I learned that the most important thing was not to abandon myself, that I could never truly be abandoned my, by my higher power. And I had this miraculous experience after my son died, where I absolutely knew that I had a higher power. And my higher power shows up through you guys in the voices that you guys use and tells me to keep going and to not give up. I did not drink or self-harm 
or take drugs after my son died. I went to meetings. I asked for help. I prayed. I learned how to do, which I had been practicing a little bit before, but I dove into something called two-way prayer, which I was doing without even knowing what it was called. I only found out recently that two-way prayer is, is sometimes can be writing to God, higher power. I'm just going to say God. And those of you that have any sort of, um, you know, religious abuse, please keep on looking for your higher power. It can be the ocean. It can be the universe. It can be love. It can be whatever you decide it is, whatever feels safe for you. And if God doesn't feel safe, I use God as a short, as a shorthand. Recently, it's been grandmother tree. And that's a story I might tell um, later on, but there is something that's bigger than me. When it was only me trying to figure everything out, of course, I was going to be full of anxiety and fear and judgment of everybody else's doing it wrong. When it was only me, the world was a scary, terrifying place always. And it's not only me, it's something that's bigger than me. And I'm grateful to know that today. And I want you to know that too. And it's not up to you to figure all this stuff. Um, so I, I was in this, I was in shock and I was numb. I knew that, um, I knew I didn't have to do this alone because of what you guys told me. I had been practicing coming out of isolation for at the time, three and a half years of coming out of isolation. And I was able to tell people what was happening. And, um, you guys showed up for me and I didn't have to do this alone. I did it with fellow travelers. I did it in real time. I felt my feelings in real time. I didn't want to anesthetize myself anymore. I knew that that would be a disaster and it would harm my surviving son who was 16 and staying sober through the death of his only brother. And um, I didn't know any of this intellectually. I just knew that I wanted to stay. So I became a newcomer again. I got messy. Things were messy. And I called you guys and I cried and you guys gave me great suggestions. Well, why are you open up? Like one of my friends said, well, why stop opening up the pictures? Don't look at the pictures today. If you can't look at the pictures today, don't look at the pictures of them today. You guys gave me really good sound advice. Um, I didn't have to figure it out. I didn't have to figure out any of it. I didn't have to figure out surviving the death of a child because you guys were there to like walk with me on this. And I didn't feel like I was doing it alone. And it is, it is possible to get through tough stuff. I know that there's a lot of warriors in here. You guys have walked through hard stuff in childhood, in teenage years. You guys have met, you guys have met the demons and you continue to show up for yourself. You don't abandon yourself on your journeys. And that gives me inspiration and hope. I called people that had lost children and I said, how did you do it? And they gave me really practical advice. Like one woman said, are you like, all right, do you have, uh, do you have a hobby of art? And I said, not really, but I doodle a little bit. She's like, get some great pens, get some great paper, sit down, go to meetings, listen and, and do some art. I was like, oh yeah, like practical stuff, tactical stuff that I could do and implement in the moment wasn't program, but it was other people in the program that had been filled by program and had survived similar things. So we can ask other people, you know, I'm, you can ask someone anything. You can ask it in a general way. Hey, I'm filing for a divorce. Has anyone been through that? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? 
We don't have to figure it out by ourselves like we did when we were kids. I had to figure out everything by myself. And when I got here, I felt so old and tired by life and exhausted by doing everything on my own. So that's been the beautiful message that I've gotten in this program. Um, by moving out of isolation, not only do I have the sunlight of the spirit shining on me, but I have you all to hold my hands and walk with me. And I've got to experience a lot of um, a lot of joy since the passing of my son. And actually, I get signs from my son when I am in moments of connection with you guys, whether it's dancing at the Friday night meeting with all the lights and the DJ, which has been so beautiful, whether it's going outside and enjoying the butterflies and the flowers or the crisp cold day that's out there. Getting in touch with nature has been a big way for me to connect with my higher power. But I first must accept the tragedy of I've lost a child. My father passed away uh, seven years ago. I had to accept the sadness and the grief of losing my father without ever hearing the amends I wanted to hear about the story when I disconnect from that. And then I'm available for what the, there is for me to accept, which is I'm in a place in my recovery where I can ask for help. And I didn't have to do my dad's death alone either. And there's tough stuff that's going out in the world. And if I glue myself to the TV and I watch the news and I feel powerless, um, I can make a different choice today. I can turn the TV off. I don't have to watch things that I'm powerless over. I love the simplicity of our ACA serenity prayer. You know, I do have power over what I do today. You have if I am, thank you so much. If I am mindful, if I am present in my body, and that's hard to do. So I want to talk about that too, is that those of us that have lived with trauma and have PTSD, it's very difficult to meditate in the way that we see on TV or have read about in books, you know, to sit there and light a candle and be at peace and imagine the breath going in and out is very, very difficult for our traumatized children. And so um, I recommend, and this has been my path, find other ways, whether that is through vocalizing, whether it's through movement, whether it's through um, walking. I found recently that there are a million ways to meditate, and some of those are in listening. So I love the sound of birds. I don't love the sound of airplanes as much, but sometimes they have to go together and I just have to watch my judgment. But if I can meditate by listening to the sound of birds outside, and because I live in an urban area, it also includes the airplanes. I have to accept it all, right? I, and I can't tune out the airplanes. I have to welcome it all in. And when I notice I have a thought about the airplane, I can forgive that thought. I'm not forgiving the airplane. I'm forgiving myself for having judgment against the airplane, if that makes sense. And that brings me to a state of being present with myself. Oh, I just noticed the airplane. And look, listen to that bird song. Ah, oh, what a beautiful song. Oh, there's an airplane again. It's like, that's so human. It's not perfection. And there's beauty in that. Sometimes I've even had a breakthrough moment where I was like, Wow, that airplane almost had that same pitch of that bird that I heard a few minutes ago. Like I can kind of meld it together. Um, 
I also practice something called Qigong, which is moving the breath with gentle movement in the body. And there's lots of resources on YouTube that are free. And I encourage you, if that's something that's speaking to you internally, and that sounds interesting as I'm talking about it, to check it out. But I had to accept, I wanted so badly to be that peaceful Buddha-like creature that could sit there for 20 minutes straight and just breathe and be. And I couldn't because stillness for me brought up memories of trauma and violence and things that I'd witnessed and things I was powerless over. And I'd often leave that 20 minute feeling like a failure and feeling like all I did was listen to my negative self-talk or rehash traumatized events. And I've accepted, so acceptance, that I am not someone who can do a 20 minute silent meditation today. And that's okay. And that might always be my story. And that's okay today. What I can do is a five minute Qigong meditation and stay present. And I can trust that whatever's coming up, I can move through it and blow it out. So Qigong uses some, the Qigong that I, that I practice uses some very intentional breath and it involves me breathing in through my nose and out from my mouth. And if I can stay present with just the simple act of breathing out of my mouth and in through my nose, it gets me so to the moment, so to, so present. So I can practice my 11 step imperfectly and not every day and not, you know, I, I don't, sometimes I don't even get five minutes. Sometimes I only get one minute and that acceptance of that's what it looks like today. That's helping my recovery. Um, and it's so exciting when I get to share that with other people is like, doesn't have to look the way you want it to look. And it's okay to be, it's okay to have some grief about that too. I have grief that I want to be able to be in peace and listen to the birds and drop in and go to this altered state. And, and I'm sad that I can't today. And maybe one day I can, but I'm not going to get attached to that too much. Um, rarely do I have the the experience of having things be the one, the way I want them to be. My, um, my dream for my son, who is my surviving son, is very different from what he's wanting to do with his day-to-day. -day. Not that I'm not so proud of him and I'm loving what path he's on. And I just think I know so much and I know you so well and I know what you would be great at and you're 19 now and wouldn't... And my job is like, whoa, what, what unhealed child inside of me or teenager needed discipline and guidance? And where is the healing today? And what a great opportunity for me to see, like, there's still more healing. I'm still, I'm not, I'm not recovered. I am recovering and I probably will be in this program for the rest of my life. But instead of turning it on my son or then like shaming myself for wanting my son to be different, what an opportunity for me to see, is there a 19 Lori, a 19 year old Lori that felt like she had to do it all on her own, didn't have any discipline, didn't have any role models. Is there some healing there? You know, and there is, there is at 19, I was on my own and I was considering myself high functioning. I was in denial about the effects of growing up in alcoholism. I was not in acceptance about the disease as it was manifesting and in myself. I was not in acceptance about my own tendencies to self-medicate. Um, 
And I missed out on a lot because I wasn't present because I was in the planning or I was in the protective or I was in the defensiveness. I missed out on closeness and relationships. I missed out on being a 19 year old who could be carefree in the life. I was, um, yeah. So just a little example of how something pops up in me today. And instead of being in the shaming of it, I can see what an opportunity to, for me to see where my healing is. Um, I think we live in a really imperfect world. And there was a long time where I lived in the world. If only everything was up to me to change. Oh boy, like what I would do. And now I'm okay with not changing the world, just in changing what I can change in me today. And the lack of acceptance that I still have in the areas of my life, I get to ask myself, why am I resistant to being an acceptance? Acceptance for me is reality. If it's happening today, that's reality, whether I like it or not. And acceptance doesn't mean for me that I have to like what's happening. I certainly don't like that my oldest son died at 18. I absolutely hate that. And where is there room for me to accept that? Maybe it's in the story that I can say, his soul had a mission to come here and do what it did and he was here for the perfect amount of time that he needed to do that mission on earth. I don't have to like it, but when I'm in acceptance of it, I can then move into being in my grief, intending to my own grief, which is a big part of my recovery today. And I've leaned into the grief communities. My last share was a lot about my grief, so I'm not going to share on that today as much. Um, but how beautiful that I am available for help with my grief today. I believe in order to live fully, I need to be able to grieve fully. And I get to, in a healthy way, compartmentalize that grief. I get to do it in grief circles that are appropriate for that. And I do find myself in a lot of ACA rooms sharing about grief because a lot of us have a lot of grief, not only from death, but for the loss of what we missed out on by having either parents that could be there for us or were present or what we weren't present for in our own lives. So those things cross over. But the acceptance of um, my son's death has taught me that I can be present for the healing that can take place. I do know people that are not in acceptance and they haven't moved into an accepting place and I can see what that looks like and the wreckage that that makes for them. And I don't wanna be in the constant suffering. It might surprise some people that the last two years and 10 months since my son died, haven't been all suffering and torture and agony. Yes, there's been anguish and agony and profound loss and profound pain. And there's been so much beauty. There's so much beauty in believing that I'm going to see him again. There's been acceptance and beauty in I get to show up for myself. I have choices in how I want to grieve. That's what I learned in ACA. There's I have choices today. I didn't have choices as a kid and even as a teenager and even as an adaptive adult. My adaptive adult was, oh my God, some of the stuff that I did as a 20 something was horrendous and I didn't have any other choices. It allows me to then move into forgiveness of self. When I accept that I couldn't have done any better when I was 22 and drinking in a bar and putting myself in really dangerous situations and not being of service anywhere in the world, let <laughs> not to my family, not to myself, not to, not to anyone. 
I get to forgive myself that I was doing the best I could with very little tools, with, with no tools for moving through the world. And I've been able to forgive myself for the things that I did when I was in a blackout, the things that I said when I didn't have any other choice. And that's been a long process. The self-forgiveness part is also something that I'll be continuously working on. I love this program because it allows me to stay. It allows me to stay imperfect. (laughs) I don't get to graduate from ACA. I don't get to graduate and move away from you guys. There's so much beauty working with others um, and hearing from other people about their personal struggles and being able to share my own experience. And um, just recently this week, I, I put myself in a program because it spoke to my heart and it spoke to my, my gut that I should do this thing back in the fall. I became a certified grief educator this week which means I'm qualified to be a peer-to-peer support to help other people move through grief. I now have the capacity to hear other people's pain. And that might not have happened without my son passing away. I don't know. But I'm on a path of healing and I want to spread that and I want to be able to share that. So much of what I learned in this grief training, by the way, is stuff that I learned in ACA. Like I wanted to like raise my hand constantly, like learned it in ACA, you guys. Like don't give advice, you know, allow other people to be, there's so much power in allowing other people to be seen and heard. So much healing that takes place when we can allow someone to be seen and heard without telling them what to do. And I learned that in here, but I have the certificate from this program, you know, to say, I'll never get a certificate from ACA, but I have a, a piece of paper. And so much of it is stuff that I learned in here from you guys. We allow people to learn how to take care of themselves. We meet people where, where they are. I've learned all that here. You know, we don't shame other people for where they are in their journey. And I wasn't in a place of acceptance when I first got here about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It affected me a little bit growing up in an alcoholic home. Yeah, yeah. The violence kind of affected me, but it really affected my sister. Look at what it did to her. I was the hero child. So I, am I still being heard? Something just um, clicked in my ears. Okay, good. Thank you. I told myself such a story. And you know what? It allowed me to come in the doors because maybe if I really knew the devastation of how it affected me, maybe I wouldn't have walked in in the first place. Maybe I would have felt too much shame. So some of that denial protected me enough to be willing to come in the rooms and be present. And then those, you know, the veils were lifted little by little with the step work, with the, the step studies. With the meetings, listening to all of your shares in these rooms, I started to identify, oh, wow. Oh, boy, that was me. Oh, my gosh. I did that, too. So I'm still learning. And I, I, I imagine that there's still things that I'm in denial about that are going to be lifted. And there's a beautiful way of working through that with the step work. I love our Loving Parent Guidebook also. I just want to give a shout out for that. I am learning how to become my own loving parent. I didn't know that I didn't know how to do that. And I'm learning and I'm doing it with really safe people in a group of people that are from different countries that are doing it together. We're halfway through the workbook and I'm learning so much, continuing to come out of denial, accept that I am powerless over the effects of my upbringing. And oftentimes I am powerless over 
my own character defenses that still continue to stand in my way of being of maximum service to my fellow travelers. And that's going to happen in time. I get to pray this two-way praying. I get to have a conversation with my higher power, who I will call God today. And I can say, God, help me get out of my own way. Help me let go of my resentments and judgments so I can really hear with both ears. I love the seeing and listening prayer in our in our literature that says, help me listen so I can really hear, help me see, help me look so I can really, really see what's going on, not only with other people, but with myself, especially myself. Help me see where I'm blocked. And then life is easier. I'm not in a state of panic and fear, which is how I lived most of my life, most of the decades of my life. Maybe I can do the second half of my life in a different way. It's never too late. It's never too late to live with more love and more joy and more forgiveness and more peace. I get to be of maximum of service, but that maximum, it has a limit to it. I'm sure it's going to continue to grow if I continue to pray on it, if I continue to ask to be of service. Um, but it has its limitations. I have, I have so much love and admiration for you guys in these rooms. This is a this is the toughest program I've ever come to. This is where we get really naked. This is where we really talk about this stuff. Is that five minutes? Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much for keeping time. Um, what I want to say is that you guys are my fellow warriors. You know, there's a lot of really brutal stories in these rooms. It's hard to come in these rooms and bring our inner children with us. There's a lot of trauma. There's been a lot of unfair treatment. There's a, been imperfection to the nth degree. Nothing, nothing that we'd want to, you know, share about it if we're not in, in recovery with others. They're really private. And a lot of people don't have the ability to hold space for other people going through their trauma. And there needs to be a safe space to share that and to heal it. I'm so grateful that you guys were there for me so that I could share this stuff so I could get into a place of recovery. And um, so many of you in this room today have heard some of the deepest, darkest, ugly stuff about me and my struggles. And if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here, you know, being able to embrace life today, learning how to accept others one day at a time. So I'm just going to wrap up by. Um, reading one final thing, because I want to end on literature on acceptance. This one is from June 4th. This is from June 4th, again, from our daily reader, strengthening our recovery. And I'm going to jump to the middle of the page. If we get impatient at, if we get impatient at times, we may recognize that it may take time for us to be ready to make certain changes. We learn acceptance. Although it's important to keep challenging ourselves, we cannot force ourselves to recover faster. Some issues are deeper than others. We look to a power greater than ourselves to find the patience to accept however long it takes to get there. Whether we are slower or faster, it is our reality, and that can change over time. If the nervous person next to us seems to want to race to the finish line, we affirm our resolve to move at a healthy pace. On this day, I practice gentleness and acceptance as a way of finding a balanced recovery. I acknowledge that the pace at which I recover is what's right for me at this moment. I love you guys, even those, those of you I haven't met. I am so grateful for this program. It continues to 
not only save my life, give me a life that I really love. And um, I hope that I've, uh, I've been helpful today and I look forward to hearing from you guys too. Thank you so much, TD, for asking me to share. I look forward to turning off my mic now. Thanks. <laughs>